0: Accents of Women would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. We pay our respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation and recognise their unceded sovereignty. Hi and welcome to Accents of Women, I'm Ayan Shirwa. In under 24 hours, a number of educators, community activists, artists and writers will gather at the University of Melbourne for a three-day conference called Black-Palestinian Solidarity Conference. To mark this historic event, I spoke to Irene Watson, a professor of law at the University of South Australia, and Tasneem Samak, a PhD candidate and an advocate for the rights of young people and women of colour. In the first half of the programme, Professor Irene Watson discusses the doctrine of Terra Nullius and its ongoing effects on Aboriginal people. Later in the program, Tazneem Samark looks at why Palestinian narratives are absent in educational spaces. But first up, Professor Irene Watson.
1: Irene Watson. I belong to the Tanganaka um, peoples of the Kaurong. And the Tank peoples who share a um, boundary with the Tungana And my ancestors come from a place which was called Tangalung. I uh, have worked as a uh, lawyer for a number of years, a legal um, uh, um, advocate, activist for the um, rights and recognition of uh, not only my people and family and clan groups, but for Aboriginal peoples. Um, across across the globe and people who are connected and advocating for country.
0: So, in your article, Irene, recentering First Nations knowledge and places in a Terra nullis, you discuss how the myth of Terra Nullius wasn't just a physical destruction, but also a denial of Aboriginal law and knowledge. Um, would you be able to tease out what you meant by that? Well
1: as we should all know terra nullius is an international law principle that means um, which was used to was used by um, um, the imperialist movement to uh uh legitimize the theft or the the theft of um of other people's territories and when it was applied to australia it meant that there there were no people there, there were no people here. And even though there was factual evidence of the existence of hundreds of First Nations peoples, it was further um, further considered uh, uh, as part of the principle of nullius that even though there were people, they weren't really people for the purposes of, of having a uh, an international law identity, that is, that First Nations weren't deemed to be subjects of international law, mm. but rather peoples who were so um, in accord with a with a um, Western, through a Western lens, were seen to be so low in civility that they had no um, capacity to have a, um, a legal system, a system of governance, or... A level of stability where they could be um, re- representative or to engage in um, um, negotiations with uh, a foreign power.
0: And Irene, so the um, myth of Terry Nullius has been debunked, but does it continue to also play out in government policies as well as attitudes to First Nation communities?
1: Uh, yes, it does. It's now deemed a racist principle in international law and the very implications for First Nations peoples of Australia has never been addressed. It has been said um, by many legal commentators that legal, uh, that the principle of Terranalyev was rejected in the High Court um, Native Title decision. However... It was, um, we we, we could say, and and lawyers, uh, property lawyers do say, that it was rejected, um, Ternalius was rejected in the High Court decision in Marbour insofar as the property law system does not um, uh, completely um, obliterate any recognition of Aboriginal people's rights Mm. to land. So, therefore, the argument um, of the Australian... Uh, Legal system and most legal commentators is Terranalius was rejected because we have a form of recognition of Aboriginal title. However, the full ambit of Terranalius has never been fully rejected. That is, there's no, um, we've not had any conversation with um, the uh, colonial state around the issues regarding the Rights of Aboriginal people to their own law and government and based on principles of, of self-determination. So the legal discourses have split the meaning of terra between a, um, a partial and a full rejection of terra That's one, one perspective of terra I would argue that the, the, the effect of terra remains fully embedded across our laws, our um, policies and the way that Aboriginal peoples um, positioned and continue to be positioned, you know, more than 200 years following.
0: A principle that you brought up just then was self-determination. What does self-determination mean to you?
1: Self-determination itself is, 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 is in the English language, is within the international law discourses. But if I was to look at it through an Aboriginal lens, or a mm. lens that you know, in thinking about the, what that would mean to the ancestors mm. um, who were, were fully self-governing and had their own legal legal systems and
2: um,
1: and respect for each other's, you know, diff- hundreds of different legal systems, it would be that that's our roots, that's our source, that we were truly self-determining. Um, not just one uh, many nations, there were many, there were hundreds of nations. So it, would, it, it meant the respect for, for the um, cultural diversity of Aboriginal Australia and the great peace, and I'll call it the Great Peace, because there's evidence of um, of hundreds of Aboriginal distinct Aboriginal nations that coexisted prior to colonisation of more than two hundred years ago. So that's real self-determination. It's, it's not just self-determination of how, how we've been stereotyped as one homogeneous group, mm. but the, self, the, the recognition of the rights of all of the peoples to be self-determining around their own distinct um, territorial boundaries and borders. Now, um, we still have... Um, strong recognition amongst ourselves as First Nations peoples of of, of respect for country, of respect for cultural differences, of respect and acknowledgement for the hundreds of different languages that um, many, mostly struggling to revive and revitalise and and be fully spoken again, but also for the few that that, that are still um, resilient and strong and and spoken as, as language in, 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 in a small number of, of nations across, that, uh, uh, across um, the continent, that, that's, the, that's the root of our self-determination.
0: Can there be self-determination that's like rubber-stamped by the state? What issues do you see with that?
1: There's a, um, an example of compromise. Hmm. embedded with, within UNDRIP, the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. If, you, if we have a read of Article 46, that's Article 46 of UNDRIP, the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, that clearly articulates that position. Hmm. But the, while the um, declaration articulates a number of minimum standards that should be um, acknowledged, recognised by um, states in regard to Indigenous, we call Indigenous peoples, First Nations, First Peoples. If you look at Article 46, it's always to be read in line with the power of the state to acknowledge or to to give permission. So on one hand, we we have a series of minimum standards, which I think are... um, are perhaps a good place for many of us to think, th- think about as a starting point.
0: And finally, Irene, you're, you're going to be a part of a conference called Black Palestinian Solidarity Conference, which is from the 6th of November to the 8th of November. Can you tell us what you think of the concept of solidarity? What does it mean to you?
1: Solidarity, to me, means... To be able to stand together, to coexist together, to respect one another, to be able to be in relationship with each other, to be able to listen and to learn from one another. Um, I think that if we can start with some of some of those ideals, then we can build solidarity
0: and how can communities um, so people of colour communities how do we build meaningful relationships across communities um, within the Australian context
1: I think people of colour can um, in, in having solidarity with each other is um, is, is to uh, share share those things that that, that that are the same, you know, mm. the, that we have survived and are continuing to survive deficit stereotypes um, of ourselves as peoples, and re recharging a space of resilience and a resilience of identity, not just for for, for us older peoples who who have um, had our own particular experience but for the importance of, of what this um, recharging and the, the um, um, recharging away from the deficit stereotypes mm. of peoples of colour to bring forward for the future, not only a better future, but a more solid ground for the peoples of the future to be able to stand um, together and... Um, uh, and to be together in all of the struggles that all peoples of this planet are looking, looking, and and being challenged by. You know the challenge of um, immense global destruction of our of our environment and our natural world. That um, many peoples are now standing in solidarity. Mm. Um, and meeting our challenges.
0: And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Accent of Woman on 3CR Community Radio. If you missed the first half of the program, don't worry. You can listen back to this episode or any of our previous shows on our 3CR website at www.3cr.org.au/slash Accent of Woman. And now we chat to Tasneem Samak, a PhD candidate and an advocate for the rights of young people and women of colour.
3: My name is Tasneem Samak. I'm Palestinian. I was born in Jordan. um, And then my family, like my parents and all us kids, moved to New Zealand and then back to Jordan and then we came to Australia. I guess, I don't know if, if young women... Or just a woman. Um, but yeah, I'm in my late 20s and I have two kids. <laughs> <laughs> so your paper, Tazneem,
0: it's called You're Meant to State Facts, Counter-Storing the Institutional Silencing of Palestinian Narratives in Australian Educational Sites. Can you tell our listeners what's been your experience in
3: educational settings? Um, so because I lived in um, those three different countries... I actually went to seven different schools growing up. Wow. Yeah, a a lot of schools. And also, like, even uh, preschool. Like, I went to, I think, like, four different kinders or something um, because my family moves a lot. And so, yeah, Mm. education has always been uh, very varied and diverse, the kind of insight that I got because being in all these different settings Mm. um, and observing but also there's there's similar patterns across all of them too. Um, and also both my parents are teachers. Right. Um, they had different university degrees, but then when they came to Australia, they both got diplomas of education.
0: Mm. Um,
3: and then in my undergrad, I did arts politics with a double degree in secondary education. And so, yeah, I've always been drawn towards teaching, education, and the power of kind of knowledge and circulating mm. knowledge. If you think
0: back to your time in secondary school, Palestine aside, but how were conversations about race and culture, so anything to do with difference, how was that discussed in class, not just between students but yeah, the teachers, I suppose?
3: Yeah, well, I did um, grade 5 and 6 in Jordan, and that was basically um, between 2000, 2001, 2002, and then we came here 2003. So um, in basically that period of time, it was the peak of the first Intifada, 9-11, and then the invasion of Iraq. And so it was very highly politicized time in Jordan mm. where there was a lot of anger against the US, against the West, um, against Israel for a lot of the massacres it was doing um, against us Palestinians. And then coming to Australia, I basically went to um a girls school in Footscray. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, people don't know nothing about that. So that was my first experience where like I'm this very politicized angry little girl mm-hmm. and I came here and then like I'm looking around I me mean, people not they don't even know about it firstly. And then the kind of issues we would learn about is like environment and water because it was during the drought period. Um, and that was really interesting still, and I was very engaged. I was always engaged in the humanities. But then I still felt that, yeah, it was disappointing and in a way offensive mm. that people um, aren't engaged in the issues, even though I knew that Australia was part of the co- you know, the coalition and John Howard had sent troops to Iraq. Yeah. So even though I was in year seven, I was still very highly alert to that. Wow. That, you wow, know... Australia is part of these, like, you know, as part of the war. And there there was h- huge demonstrations in Australia against the yeah. Iraq war.
0: That's a lot for a young person to know. So did you feel like being that politicised alienated you from the rest of the students?
3: Yeah, I think so because, um, like, the other girls, they weren't really interested in talking about politics. <laughs> so they would talk about whatever they talk about, like, yeah. things they – Radio or TV, or but my parents were more conservative at home, so I didn't I didn't even really engage in popular culture. But then I always engaged with news, and so there was always that kind of distance or you know barrier between me and a lot of my peers, Um, because yeah they were more into popular culture and movies Mm. and all of that, which I was more segregated from. But then in the in the political sphere or, or engaging in the public in that way. I was always involved. Do you think it's difficult to criticize the state of Israel? Um, I think what's made it difficult is the way that Zionists have constructed um, anti Semitism and conflated it with anti Zionism so that it now, yeah, it, it has become difficult. So the way that they talk about BDS, for example, they say that BDS is anti Semitic. When BDS, the boycott, divestment, sanctions movement, is basically for example, if you're an academic, you say, I just don't want to participate in this action. Mm. I don't want to come to uh, Israel and speak at an Israeli university. How is that anti-Jew? Mm. You know, mm. um, but the, because they've defined it in that way and they, they're using like across Europe um, and the US, they're using laws now to outlaw BDS. Then it it does become difficult Um But just because something is difficult doesn't mean that it's not doable. Like, I see that Elhan Omar has been trying to pave a really effective and positive way of of talking, uh, you know, criticizing Israel while also refraining from being anti-Semitic because Mm. a lot of people are anti-Semitic in their anger towards Israel. I mean, a lot of Muslims and Arabs are anti-Semitic. Yeah. Um, And so how do we... Not be anti Semitic mm. and while advocating and putting forward our demands to dismantle settler colonization.
0: So, Tezneem, you're part of a conference that's happening in, I think, November the 6th, starting from November the 6th, is it? And it's going yeah. on for a few days. Can you tell me about the conference um, as well as the theme of decolonization?
3: So, with the conference, um, it's uh, Gary Foley and a few others. Um, they wanted to bring together um, you know, Aboriginal First Nations with Palestinian communities in Australia to talk about how these two movements can uh, support and nurture one another um, in dismantling settler colonization both in Australia and in Israel, um, you know, in occupied Palestine. And so um, it starts with an incident that Gary kind of tells us about where um, he he's on campus actually at Monash back in the seventies, and then they they come they see one guy being bashed by a group, and so um, Gary and, and his friends go over and they they see what's going on and they pull him out and they say to him what's got why are they attacking you and he says I'm Palestinian <laughs> and all of these are you know pro-Israeli um, Jews. And so from there, that's where Gary realises, oh, well, there's something here. And he starts learning about the struggle and learning that Palestinians are also people who have been colonised, you know, about the genocide and the Nakba against Palestinians. And that's kind of what starts off his journey. And he wanted to bring that here so that more young activists can also start to have that awareness. Um, And it's also, I guess, for me... I see value in the conference in that it challenges a lot of the Zionist uh, narratives and the dominance of um, Zionism in Australia in, in a lot of these spaces, especially mm. in academic spaces, um, because, yeah, we hardly hear Palestinian voices in academia in Australia.
0: Well, what do you make of people who say that, in especially in primary and secondary schooling, yeah. um, that this kind of thinking is too radical and too... Um, big for them to
3: grasp. Yeah, well, that that's a constant, um, there's always that tension. But then um, for me, I, I always think, like, what about ANZAC? Isn't that also so political? <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, we, we learn about world wars. It's not so much about what's on the curriculum and what's not on the curriculum. Part of when we talk about decolonizing curriculum, it's looking at what gets absented from the curriculum. A lot of the time, what we're actually talking about is what is already on there, it's just the way that it's told. Mm. What stories is that telling and who does it benefit and whose interests are we upholding?
0: Solidarity. So I keep hearing this word, but I have my own definition. What is your definition of solidarity, (laughs) Um, I
3: don't know if I have a definition, but something that bugs me is when people come to do solidarity. I feel like... mm, I'm not sure what you're trying to do <laughs> like for me I uh, maybe that comes from more my Islamic background but like you know we're encouraged to when we see an injustice to change it and when we see oppression to fight that oppression and to speak up against it not just the one that is your oppression And so for me it's always like you just jump in Um, don't take over the cause don't speak over other people or speak for other people but be just be part of it like jump in see what needs doing ask what can I do how can I be part of this and I feel like a lot of people overcomplicate it they start to want to do it in a perfect way or mm. offer the right kind of solidarity that they're never getting their hands dirty like just roll up your sleeve and come like mm. where are you people
0: yeah <laughs> Well, yes, so it's roll up your sleeves, but also
3: ask consent to be invited into space. No, I get that, yeah. Um, That's why, yeah, some people want, they want to be there for the good times, or they want to be there for the flashy parts. But what I mean is jump in as in, don't jump in like because it's fun or because you know, you're young and you want a political phase, <laughs> which is, <laughs> and then that's you so go... so jaded of you, <laughs> says me. No, uh, what I mean by jump in, as in, like, actually, like, put your body on the line, like, your whole heart and spirit and, and yeah, like, your blood, like, actually pour into this, you know, whatever you can give, because I feel like that's part of the way you check your privilege, too. Like, if, if you have a platform, use that platform to support. And if you have money, pour that money into to other organisations that are doing this kind of work. And that was Tasneem Samak, ending on how we in the community
0: can use our voice and platform to shed light on human rights abuses. You've been listening to Accent of Woman on 3CR Community Radio. This program is produced in the studios of 3CR, and heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. Special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. We finished today's program with a song by Sampa the Great called Freedom.
2: And now we itching just to find stars, to find stars. But they were screaming when they find us, define us. And now we talking, now we open, so don't remind us. from the beginning, we never win it. Then when I in this, we despise. You want my art, what's hot, what's hot? I'm under charge and overthought. And after dark, and now I'm living, trying to give in every melody of us. What's hot, what's not, what's us? Sally selling six figures where we meant to Nice. Nah.